Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5, with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. On this week's episode, we have a return guest, Paige Lavelle, who joins me to discuss the connections between perfectionism and women and autoimmune disease and the difficult all-or-nothing road that this leads people down when they're searching for different healing modalities. We're talking about how this leads from jumping to practitioner to practitioner to practitioner, from protocol to protocol, and ultimately for some people spending thousands of dollars without getting answers or solutions. And we know that this is an extremely relatable topic and will probably be an extremely relatable episode for many listeners, especially since we've been hearing from so many of you that our functional medicine pipeline episode has been so helpful and so relatable. And so on today's episode, we're going to be unraveling the mind-body connection between disordered eating, chronic illness, and autoimmune disease, perfectionism, and people-pleasing. One last thing before we get started today, just a reminder that our podcast is going on a summer break, and so we will have no new weekly Wednesday episodes for August. But just as a reminder, in August, we are continuing with our body image bonus content every single week over on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash wholehearted eating. So you're going to get a workbook to learn how to assess your current body image, confidence, self-esteem, your main coping skills, and your coping archetype. We're then going to move on to podcast style workshop type episodes on redefining your progress with body image, the body image spiral, how to stop a body image emergency in its tracks, and then how to recover from bad body image days or weeks or seasons of your life. So if you're interested in checking any of that out, head on over to patreon.com slash wholehearted eating and we'll see you over there. All right. Well, Paige, welcome back to the podcast. As we were just saying before we started recording that uh, it's been two, literally 200 episodes since you were last on. Um, and I realized that we, we recorded for so long last time between it was actually like episode 64 and 72 or something like that, that we had to split it into two parts, <laughs> which yes. is wild because I did not remember that at the time. Um, but so since it's been so long since you've been on the show, and obviously, as we just talked recently on your show, we've both been through so many different evolutions on how we approach autoimmune disease and everything like that. I'd love if you could share for all the new listeners more about your healing journey from an eating disorder through autoimmunity, perfectionism, and people-pleasing to where you are now. And you can take that wherever you want. I know you could yeah. literally talk for like six hours about just Easily. that one sentence. So. <laughs> yeah. I'm writing a book about it. So yeah, I can go on for a minute. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so last time we spoke, I was in the middle of writing a blog. Um, I've since retired that, um, if you go to any of my old blog posts, you'll just get rerouted to my new website. Cause I didn't want to lose that, but I was just writing about my journey. I felt like I was really struggling. I have three autoimmune diseases. So I have Hashimoto's thyroiditis, limited scleroderma, which is the one I was diagnosed with first when I was 12 and I have Sjogren's syndrome. So I felt very unseen, unheard, ununderstood. Is that a word? Misunderstood. There we go. (laughs) I have a master's degree and I forget basic English sometimes. So 
I just felt like there wasn't a resource out there that I could relate to because you see this information out there about people that are really sick and can't function day to day. And then you see this information out there that people are like, follow your passion and let go of the grind and then you'll be great. And I'm like, well, I have to pay rent and I have student loans and I worked really hard to get to the corporate positions that I'm in. So I just felt like there were these two ends of the spectrum and no one that I could really relate to that had these health issues, but to the naked eye looked completely healthy and was really struggling with how to tackle that mentally and emotionally. And at the same time, I got sucked into what I believe you've called on your show before, uh, the functional medicine pipeline. So I found functional medicine in my early 30s. I had just completed my MBA. And I had, like I said, first been diagnosed with chronic illness when I was 12. So we're talking, it'd been a long time that I had been taking a lot of medications that made me feel terrible. I had been just following orders and not really questioning anything. And I was cranked in and out of medical offices for 15 minutes. Um, I, I thought all of my other issues, uh, eating disorder that developed when I was 18, um, I was in and out of pretty emotionally abusive relationships. Um, I had some issues that I just decided were my own brand of crap, <laughs> to be very eloquent. And I didn't see how any of that played into my chronic illness. Um, obviously there are physical causes and very real things that, that cause those issues. Um, but I was getting no progress. I was seeing no progress because I wasn't addressing any of the other stuff going on in my life. Um, I am a chronic perfectionist. I am the oldest child. I am a high achiever. I just, the amount of gold stars I collected growing up just makes me like roll my eyes to date, but I still do it. Sometimes I still catch myself trying to collect these accolades and I have met endless, honestly, just countless amounts of women who are high achieving type A successful women who deal with these issues, especially autoimmunity, who deal with disordered eating. And because you pass socially and because no one can really tell you're sick, you just struggle in the shadows. It makes it twice as hard, if not more, the fact that society applauds for the results of these issues. You get thinner, you get better paying jobs, you are in and out of relationships, or you're in a relationship with someone, someone finds impressive, regardless of whether it's good for your mental or emotional health. Everyone's telling you, good job. This is great. You know, your Instagram reel is great. Meanwhile, you're really struggling inside. So very long winded answer to, to what you were asking. When I had started writing my blog, I was trying to be quote unquote, authentic and vulnerable but I was really kind of replicating what I saw out there, just being like, this is how you help your loneliness when you have chronic illness. This is the diet stuff that's helped me. This is, you know, step one, two, three, ABC to get to the next level. And I started to just feel less passionate about writing. I started to stop connecting with people. I stopped being on podcasts and it took a lot of time and a lot of just pulling away from it and introspection to realize that I wasn't being authentic. I was trying to be perfect at getting better. And there's no such thing. And the reason I had to take a step back and really reevaluate, I had to go through some stuff in my life. And I had to really, I think, have a lot of experiences, good and bad, uh, where I came to the conclusion that everyone's healing path, I should say health path, because you're not just going to suddenly heal, but you can take yeah. a much different approach um, where your path to your care is just completely unique. 
And it took me falling on my face so many times trying to follow the perfect diet or the perfect spiritual practice or the perfect healing modality or the five figures of debt I took on for all the supplements and the tests that I got uh, to realize like, you know, with the wellness space has become a very popular, very trending money machine. And when you haven't been heard for most of your life and you have these issues that are invisible and you experience medical gaslighting and your peer group doesn't get it, it's so easy to get sucked into that pipeline where they're like, here's $10,000 worth of tests and supplements, but I will sit here for an hour and listen to all of your problems. So it's so easy to latch onto that. And when you have that perfectionist people-pleasing tendency, like I do, like so many women I've worked with have, you just are like hook, line, and sinker. Like you are all in. And then you wonder why you're just as burnt out at the end of that hamster wheel as you were when you were just taking the, the generic Western approach. So I took a step back. I connected with, I don't know if you've ever heard of Ruby Warrington. She wrote this book called Sober Curious. And she really uh, liked my story and encouraged me to write a book about it because writing's always been my preferred medium. So I just pulled all that old material and I started sharing. This is me really sharing authentically, like warts and all, and what it's like and how we all have to realize that our healing journey is unique. And I think the step that I feel compelled to take is being honest and sharing my story because there's too many women out there that deal with these things and don't feel like anyone understands and don't feel like there's anyone that can relate to them. So very long answer, but I hope that <laughs> spoke to what you were asking. That's what a podcast is for, right? Yeah. I mean, okay. So to give you a little bit of credit, right? Cause I have known you for a couple of years now. It's like, even, even before when you were sharing your story and it's like, again, to be fair, a lot of the discourse on social media at that time was like, this is what I'm doing. And like, I'm trying to figure this out and blah, blah. And of course there were, you know, uh, hordes of other people that were like, this is what I'm doing and it's worked for me. So you should do it too. You were never like, everybody should do this. You're like, I'm doing this wild ozone therapy and I don't know if it's going to work for me, but like, blah, 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 you know, and you were never like, Oh, I'm glad I wasn't putting anything bad out there. (laughs) No, 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 definitely not. But even, you know, as you were going through all of that stuff, it was a, for you, a necessary step in your journey to figure out like, was, is this for me? Is this not for me? Right. And you figured out that, that, you know, that wasn't the golden ticket for you. Cause ultimately that's what a lot of these, you know, tests and and supplements and like all these influencers in the like wellness space are basically saying like, Oh, you just need to find your golden ticket and then you'll be good. But unfortunately for most people, it's not, there, there is no golden ticket, right? Like, and for the people for whom, you know, X, Y, Z, uh, like nutritional therapy or protocol or ozone therapy or all these other things for whom that worked for, they found, they luckily randomly found a golden ticket, right. And that quote worked for them in terms of whatever they want to call working for a lot of people that means weight loss, right. But they're still struggling with these symptoms every single day for some people, they do see some symptom resolution, but then you really question, okay, well, is that long-term symptom remission? Or is it just like, well, as long as you keep everything on a extremely tight hold and you walk this tightrope for the next, you know, all of the years of your life, then you'll be fine. Which then leads us to what we had talked about in that functional medicine pipeline episode is like, none of this is sustainable. And then you also feel like, well, now that I have all of the tools that I quote should be doing in order to fix myself or manage my symptoms, it now feels like the impetus is on me. Like the onus is on me. It's my own fault 
if I can't keep all this under control. And so I'm sure you felt a lot of that as well with all the different things that you were trying. And then you were trying to be authentic on social media, which to be fair, you were being your authentic self at the time, right? It just wasn't your fully realized self, I guess, is what we can say. No, I appreciate that. That's uh, I, my husband tells me all the time, he's like, you're so kind and understanding and patient with everyone but yourself, <laughs> uh, which hello, recovering perfectionists, like nothing is good enough. Um, so I appreciate it because I realized without even being conscious of it, that was a bit of just self-criticism, which is a natural state for me. Um, so I really appreciate you saying that very much. And I, I really was trying at the time, like there was no ill intent out there. I think it was just, I had to like dip my toes and really put myself out there to then kind of have that gut feeling of like, wait a second, like, I think you have some more exploring to do before you're ready to really share like what you've learned and, and, and what, what you're not to sound really over the top, but like what my purpose is, like what my passion is, what I feel is most important for me to share out there. Um, yeah. Well, social media is scary too. And right. And when you're, whether you're a recovering perfectionist or you're like currently still have perfectionist tendencies that tend to come out here and there. And we're also people pleasers. We tend to feel like, okay, I need to have my complete shit together before I share anything online. And so in a sense, you know, whenever, cause I also do some, like, as you know, and business consulting for people and they're like, well, when should I start like, now? <laughs> Just go now, you know, because if you wait until you think you're ready, it's past time, right? When I started this podcast, I don't even know how many years ago, 2017, right? I, like at the time, I'm like, oh, I could have started this earlier, right? I was thinking about starting a blog for like three years before I finally Googled one day in September, 2014, how to start a blog and literally spent the entire weekend just doing it, right? Most of the time when people are like, I want to do something, whether it's, I want to share my story. I want to start an Instagram. I want to start a new business. I want to blah, blah, blah. It's like, we're so afraid of not being perfect and that you have to have like all of your ducks in a line. You have to record 27 podcasts before you launch your first episode or like episodes before you launch your podcast and everything like that. And it's like, in reality, you're not going to have an audience at the start. So it doesn't really matter. You know, it's like, you're kind of finding yourself and different evolutions of yourself as your business grows or your page or like whatever it is. I'm a completely different person than I was in 2014, when I started my website and in 2017, when I started my podcast, it's just like, and this is really where perfectionism and people pleasing comes into it, which great transition. Cause that's actually where I wanted to go next is <laughs> talking about perfectionism in women with autoimmune disease, right? I feel like this is not a topic that is talked about enough and you're talking about it a lot on your podcast. I know you're going to talk about it in your book, which is more of a memoir style, but Tell me what you've gathered both from your own experience and then also interviewing other people and working with people about the connection between perfectionism in women with autoimmune disease. Yeah, I um, obviously I'm not uh, a scientist, so um, not a physician either. So it's something that I'm not going to sit out here and say there's this definite causation relationship. But after many years of working for a while, I'm a certified holistic health coach. I stepped back from that when I, like I said, I was going through gathering more information and really doing some introspection on how I want to deliver my message. Um, but I worked with so many women and there was, there's a correlation. There are all of these women. And then on top of clients, just sharing with friends. Like I lived in Brooklyn. I lived in Austin not too long ago. So you're talking about meeting a lot of these very successful, very driven women and the more I just started casually opening up about my health issues, the amount of friends I had who were killing it 
professionally who were like, oh yeah, I have IBD. I have Crohn's. I have, uh, I mean, I can, I can name 25 different conditions. My friends have had even MS, um, things that I'm like, okay, this is, there's something here. This isn't just, oh, uh, we happen to have autoimmune diseases. It's, it's the, you start get asking yourself like chicken or the egg, right? Did you develop these tendencies as a result of the chronic illness? I would say you could argue either way there. Um, I think that the tendencies are developed a lot younger. Um, I'm sure I was exposed. There's, I have a lot of different beliefs about autoimmunity. I think that there's a viral component to it. Um, I think one good thing that's come out of COVID is the amount of focus on viruses and the longstanding issues uh, that result from them. So I had issues when I was a child with Epstein-Barr. Um, so I think there's a multitude of, of, of things that have to play into ending up with an actual autoimmune disease. I think environmental exposures, I'm sure there's a genetic component. I'm sure there's all this stuff, but I don't mm -hmm. think that it doesn't involve exposure to something like Epstein-Barr. Um, I'll table that for a second, but... <laughs> I've met so many women who have these, like their tendency is to put their head down, collect the gold stars, keep going, pretend you're not sensitive, emotional, not embracing your feminine nature, because I work in FinTech. There's not a lot of room for your feminine nature in FinTech, but, <laughs> and, and most of my friends that I met in Austin work in tech and it's very male dominated and it's very cutthroat and you don't have that bandwidth. You're not given that bandwidth to really feel and to really work on your mental and emotional space. That's seen as weak. And I think that if you've been raised, this is not a family blaming or a parent blaming environment, but if you were raised in an environment like myself where you were praised for achievement and I felt the most seen when I was winning and when I was selected and when I was chosen and that implanted a lot of beliefs that I to be worthy, I had to be accomplishing something and I had to be the best. And I had to just continue to just, like I said earlier, check off those gold stars. And I've learned enough now in my own experience and with reading when the body says no was a book that just blew my mind about a decade ago. Um, you can't separate the mental toll of perfectionism from your health, from your physical health. So this constant not expressing my needs because I didn't feel safe to not pausing at any point during this quest for success that let's be frank it was it was a definition of success that was not coming from myself so just checking all these boxes that i thought the world wanted to see in order to feel accepted and liked and belong just wanting to belong i think it's pretty basic human nature uh you are totally sacrificing your health and well-being in that process so there obviously is a is a correlation between those two things um, I'm not going to say that because you're a perfectionist, you gave yourself an autoimmune disease that is patient blaming and that's toxic. Yeah. Um, I'm also not going to suggest that if you just go to therapy and start working on those tendencies, I mean, my God, I've been in therapy on and off for 20 years. They don't just <laughs> go away. You develop self-awareness, but they don't just poof, go away. Mm -hmm. So I also hate when you see people out there that are like, I can tell you exactly how perfectionism goes away. Anyone that says that, like, Liar. a little bit skeptical. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I'm not suggesting that just because you address your mental and emotional issues, your health issues are just going to magically disappear. What I'm saying is you can't treat them in a silo. So my friends who have done all this stuff with their diet, given up God knows how many types of foods and are so meticulous about the supplements they take and what they eat. Meanwhile, they are workaholics. They are dating 
horribly toxic people. They are not expressing their feelings. They're still sick. So I don't think you can do one and expect to see a change in the other. So that's where I feel like there's a really strong correlation between the two. And I think as women, especially in the U.S., you're raised to be polite, to be pleasant, to be palatable. I've had on, I think I shared this when you were a guest on my podcast, uh, I had on a review one time when I was out of business school. So it's not like I was a you know, noob, uh, some new person right out of undergrad. They put how pleasant I was as if it was this super flattering statement. And they would never say that to one of my male counterparts. So if you're a woman or, or born a woman, it's you're kind of set up to develop that people-pleasing tendency. And then if you add the perfectionism to it, it just puts you into a very bad, bad sounds really labeling. It puts you down a path to where you're not really going to be open-minded to exploring those mental and emotional issues and how it affects you from a more holistic perspective. Yeah. And it's then really tough, right? Because if you regardless of which came first, the chicken or the egg, right? Like we now are in this really tough spot of, let's say you do have these perfectionist tendencies and you have an autoimmune disease or you don't yet have an autoimmune disease or you haven't yet been diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, but now because you're a perfectionist and you're not getting the answers that you want from the chronic symptoms that you've been experiencing, you're doing all your own research and you're like, oh my God, I wonder if this is autoimmune disease. If you then can't find a practitioner that can help you work through that, or if you can, a lot of these perfectionist tendencies then lead to a very difficult path of all or nothing protocols, right? Healing modalities, like jumping from practitioner to practitioner, protocol to protocol. And then like you mentioned, being five figures in debt with like thousands of dollars spent on trying to find answers, trying to get solutions, trying to do all this different testing and figure it out. And of course, of course you're going to go that way, right? Because when you, and this again, referring back to our functional medicine pipeline episode, it's like when, when you go down that road and you're like, okay, let's, let's say you've been newly diagnosed with like Hashimoto's or something like that. If regardless of whether or not you've got that diagnosis from a Western medicine doctor, because your lab results were so out of the regular range that they're like, Whoa, you actually have this most of the time that doesn't happen. Right. But so let's say you've gone to a functional medicine practitioner, your endocrinologist, your OB, you know, whatever it is. And they're like, Oh, congratulations, you have Hashimoto's. Now, all of a sudden you're like, why is this something I've never heard of before? Right. So you start Googling and then you're like, what are the things I can do for Hashimoto's aside from just take medication, right? Some people don't want to take medication. Some people do. And even when they do take medication, it's not enough to manage the symptoms and to kind of put them in remission. So it's a very difficult place to be. So of course, then you start researching, like, what are all the things I can do for Hashimoto's? And then ultimately you're going to end up in the quote, diet for Hashimoto's and lifestyle for Hashimoto's and eliminate all these inflammatory things. And if you have a tendency towards perfectionism, which I would argue also that a lot of people with autoimmune disease do, you start to believe, okay, well now I have the toolkit. Let me implement all of the tools possible in the most perfectionistic way, because then I feel like I'm healing myself, or at least I'm doing something in the right direction. But as we know, perfectionism never holds. You can never do it hundred percent of the time. Eventually you're not going to be able to hold on to that. And that's when you then lean into the really feelings of like guilt and shame of like, what's wrong with me that I can't keep this up. Now my symptoms are my own fault and everything like that. And this is also a very slippery slope down to eating disorders, disordered eating, which I know you are also going to go into on your show and in your book and everything like that. 
Yeah, it's uh, that great way to summarize, <laughs> to summarize that. <laughs> uh, it's, it's difficult. Yeah, it's, it's so easy to just, so mine was kind of a two-parter. So before I dove all in and tried to do everything at once, and that did not end well, uh, shock, shocker, I know. Um, before I got there, I had the perfectionism, very common uh, symptom of perfectionism, that is analysis paralysis. So I wanted to do it perfectly. I wasn't going to start doing it till I had a PhD in everything, a theoretical PhD, in everything about clean eating, um, gluten-free lifestyle, meditation, mindfulness, yoga, Ayurveda. I could just continue to go on and on and on and on. And if anyone listening has dove into the wellness space, I'm sure you could add to the list and it's constantly evolving. So I wanted to learn everything and then figure out the perfect, you know, one thing or perfect combination, uh, the magic bullet, if you will, before I proceeded. So I'm talking years of just gathering all this information, flooding my brain. Meanwhile, I'm going to business school at night and on the weekends and working full time. So it wasn't like I had the mental or emotional bandwidth for this. And then I just wasn't doing anything about it. So it was like spending all this money for tests, spending all this money on books, uh, just getting so flooded with too much conflicting information out there to the point where I remember one time I woke up really early in the morning, like knocked my phone over, knocked a bunch of these books over that were half finished that were just about all these different options I had. And I was like, oh my God, there has to be a better way than this. This is just totally not sustainable. So I was like, I'm going to pick one thing and I'm going to go after it. The problem is when you haven't really harnessed, I'll say harnessed because I'm not going to say fixed, but when you haven't harnessed and developed that self-awareness around your black and white perfectionism thinking, when you try that one thing, you're prone to becoming dogmatic about it. So I think I tried um, Ayurvedic medicine. It's amazing. I, I think my biggest takeaway is you can learn about a thought process, a healing modality, a yoga practice, and take slices away from the pie without taking the whole pie and blocking everything else out that might help you. You don't have to become this hardcore zealot about anything you try. You can take little nuggets from it and see what works for you because you're unique and your healing is unique. So I did not know that at that time. <laughs> but I had that Paige, that's not how those businesses make money. <laughs> no, it is not. You have to do the perfect thing. So I, exactly. And they're going to convince you that it's the only way. So I dove into like Ayurvedic medicine. Well, they were telling me um, do this, this, uh, I'm, I'm going to completely blank on the type of massage, um, that they have with the, do the oil drip on your head. It was, it was wonderful, very relaxing. But then after I had that, I was supposed to go donate a lot of blood, um, something about a cleansing practice. I probably should have gathered this before, but you get the idea. And then I went to an acupuncturist a week later who I had already seen before, who tells me, um, you absolutely should not be donating blood. I feel that you don't have enough dampness to do something like that. And just basically told me what I did was completely wrong and horrifying. So here I am like reaching out to these two different practitioners for their help. And they were both wonderful people. And I really enjoyed working with them. But it just threw me into this spiral of just like, well, Jesus, I'm trying like this one thing. And that goes against this other thing. And how am I supposed to do anything? And as a perfectionist, I just got, did I blame anyone else? Or did I blame the fact that I was too intense about it? No, I was just like, you suck at it. You failed. You are clearly just going to be sick forever. And it's a very, um, as you said, slippery slope into that space. So anyone who's experienced an eating disorder or anyone who knows anything past the crap we learned in middle school about them, <laughs> the one time it was discussed, it's not about being thin. Um, 
that is a byproduct of it. You want some sense of control. And as a, as someone who has been hard on myself for as long as I can possibly remember, and I went to school and I suddenly felt very out of place and I was always very academically gifted. And so I thought, okay, college is my time to shine. For the record, I wasn't an outcast. I was on the dance team. I was in student council. I was very social, but I never felt special, if that makes sense. And so I kept telling myself, like, once you get to college, once you get into that good school, that's going to be your time to shine. And when you have those perfectionist tendencies going on and you're being told all this different information and you don't have a sense of who you are, really, I'm, I was totally primed to develop an eating disorder when I was 18. Now, fast forward to when I'm trying all of those different modalities and I'm being told that I'm doing them wrong by everyone and then I'm just taking it out on myself. Um, I had a relapse and I was very upset with myself at the time, but now I'm like relapse is part of recovery. But if you are just being given all this information and, and diet is such a huge component of a lot of those um, schools of thought and a lot of those healing modalities, that if you don't give yourself a little flexibility and you don't show yourself some compassion, you are going to fall right back into those uh, coping mechanisms that are harmful to you. So it's just, it's very easy. It's very easy to fall into those obsessive things. Now, my eating disorder, I was bulimic. Um, it's, it's scary. I mean, I feel like something people don't talk about enough, um, anorexia specifically, is second only to opioid addiction for the mortality rate within mental illness. The fact that that is not flashing in our health books growing up and the fact that we don't talk about it because it's taboo. I have friends that are more comfortable talking about opioid addiction than they are eating disorders. I think we need to talk about opioid addiction and I think people need to have a lot more compassion because a lot of your coping mechanisms are coming from the same place. They're just not as socially taboo. Um, but I feel like eating disorders is something people shy away from sharing. So being bulimic, it's I can say it now and not bristle, but I used to. And I know you yourself have had issues with orthorexia. It's just something that's so easy to fall into when you're looking for answers and you feel like you're just being told you're wrong, you're not getting better because it's your fault and you have that underlying perfectionism. It's it's almost bound to happen, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. And I mean, you know, when you have something like bulimia, because that is also something that I struggled with for a while is like when you feel like you've so completely messed up, that feels like a good coping tool to be like, well, we're just going to press the reset button, you know, and like that can feel, you know, that can feel very graphic for people, but that's what it feels like to someone who is bulimic. Right. And, you know, going back to what you were saying about the connection between like, oh, you know, these different protocols and stuff, like it's so easy to fall into those when you have a history of an eating disorder, because you're like, oh my gosh, permission to control my food and restrict what, you know? And even if you've been in recovery for a while, you're like, wait, so now this is a, I, I thought this was wrong you know, when I was going through recovery and you're told like, you know, what the coping skills that you were using before restriction and binging, purging, all the things are not the answer to your problems. And now you're being told with all these quote therapeutic protocols. Oh, actually it is the solution to all your problems, right? Like it's no wonder that people who have a history of severe restriction, eating disorders, disordered eating, chronic dieting are all drawn to these kinds of protocols because ultimately what is dieting? It's telling you that they have the solution to a problem that you have most of the time for people that quote problem is weight. But when you start to deal with chronic symptoms and all these different autoimmune diseases and everything, this is 
if people have been listening to the podcast for a while, which I, I assume a, a lot of you have, um, this was my main problem with things like Whole30 and those other protocols, because even in Whole30 is like, oh no, like we tell people with eating disorders, like not to do it. Okay. Who's screening for that? You dummies. And then the other thing too, is like, you know, not only are most of these protocols saying like, or they're not saying if you have an eating disorder, don't do this one, no one's enforcing that. Right. And as soon as you're like, don't think about the white elephant in the room, everyone's thinking about the white elephant in the room. But what they also don't say is there's a huge population of people that I have worked with and heard from over the years that as a result of doing these kinds of restrictive protocols, even if they didn't have any disordered eating tendencies before, guess what they have now. And then there's so much fighting back against that perfectionism and working through those mindsets and those thoughts and everything that has to happen before you can even do any major changes around food, including adding foods back in, because as a result of doing those kinds of protocols, there's so much fear around those foods that they're potentially going to give you quote inflammation, even though that's never like specifically described as to what's going to happen, especially in something like Hashimoto's or anything like that. It's like, oh, well, you can't eat gluten because you'll be inflamed. And it's like, well, what does that mean for you? Is that the case for everybody? The answer is no, but they don't tell you that. And it's just so difficult because then for a long time, when I work with people, it's like, we have to work on and rework the relationship with food peace, the mental, emotional aspect before we can ever get to any kind of lifestyle changes or food changes or figuring out, okay, well, does your do does your body do well with this food as someone who has an autoimmune disease or does it not do well with this food? Most of the time it takes a really long time to actually get there because so many people are stuck in the, well, this functional medicine doctor said that if I didn't eat these foods then I wouldn't have autoimmune disease. So really it's my fault. And most people will be like, oh my God, Dana, that's too extreme. I can't even tell you the amount of clients that have told me that that's been their exact experience. It's just so, it's such a hard uh, middle of the Venn diagram to be in because most practitioners or most people that are talking about this are either in the, here's how you work on perfectionism. Here's how you work on eating disorders. Here's how you work on chronic illness all separately in silos. As you mentioned, there's a very small portion of us who are the middle of the Venn diagram and trying to help people figure out okay, well, now that I know that all these puzzle pieces are part of my story, how can I work on them as they fit together without triggering the other parts? Yeah, it's a very difficult spot to be in because on one side you're being told, eliminate this food, eliminate that food. Um, intermittent fast is one I've always heard. Uh, you get all these instructions, right? And they're well-intended. Again, I'm not demonizing anyone. On the flip side, you're someone who used to have an eating disorder. You know what you're not supposed to do? Label foods is bad, fast <laughs> yeah. in any way, shape, or form. Restrict, yeah. Restrict. So it's not just, oh, these might not line up. They are just the complete opposing forces. So you're talking about complete polarity there. So it's very, it's it's troubling because you're like, well, which one do I go with? Because for a long time, I didn't realize that you really could be in the middle of the Venn diagram or that there was anything in the middle of the Venn diagram. It felt like mm -hmm. I had to pick one and just hope that it didn't exacerbate the other issue. And yeah. that's, I am not alone. I think, like I said, when I first started talking, um, I thought this was my own special brand of screwed up, um, kind of hard on myself as a perfectionist, if you can't pick <laughs> up on that. So I just didn't share it. Cause I'm like, Oh God, no one can relate to all of that stuff. And it's mind blowing how many people can relate to having that same set of issues and how much they butt up against each other when you're trying to pick a path, uh, to just start making better choices for you and, and the path to being healthier. 
and um, had a point to where I was <laughs> where I was going with that. Um, but yeah, like you said, there is a middle of the Venn diagram and it took me a while to find that. And it really involves um, being willing to, to kind of go inward a little bit. Like you have to share, you have to work with someone who knows what they're doing. Um, and I'm not suggesting people don't know what they're doing, but a lot of people work in those silos and they've been instructed in their education to function in those silos. Our entire medical educational program is based on body systems existing on their own, which is just insane to me. Um, my digestive system does not exist unattached <laughs> or unrelated to my other systems. So, nor does any other system for that matter. Um, so I think realizing there are practitioners out there that do look at that holistic view is huge. Um, looking for resources out there that speak to how the body reacts holistically to things. And then um, realizing, like I said earlier, if you don't really take some time and give yourself some space to look into those mental and emotional hurdles that you really need to face. I know I can tell you point blank when I was going all in perfectionism style on the functional medicine space and the testing and the dieting and everything, I knew that like there was something mentally and emotionally not adding up, but was I ready to look at that? Absolutely not. Like I, I did not want to go into those murky waters. I did not want to scratch that surface. I felt like it was going to be when you pick a paint chip off a wall and then you start chipping and chipping, which it was to be clear. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But when you have perfectionism, it's really easy to latch onto those things because if you put all your energy there, you don't have to look at the stuff you're not ready to look at. Yep. And I think the, I'm not saying you have to dive into that tomorrow, but you do have to get to a point where you acknowledge that those things have to be faced and that you are going to have to do some work on those, um, is huge. I mean, I knew it had to be faced before I really did it, but just acknowledging like there's some stuff here, <laughs> just some heavy stuff yeah. that I need to work on, um, was pretty groundbreaking for me. And I feel like anyone who's listening, that's like, Oh, cause so much stuff out there is like, Oh, this is terrible. And the system is rigged and how do we move forward? It, I'm, I'm saying like a legitimate step forward is like, I have some stuff that I need to face and that I need to work on because that is directly going to impact um, my physical health, my disordered eating, my perfectionism, et cetera. So that, that's one thing that I just want to put out there because that was pretty monumental for me. Yeah. And the nervous system connects it all, right? Like that is the main connector between all the different systems and the body and also our mental, emotional and physical health. Right. And so this is why, like, I happen to work with a lot of therapists as clients of mine, and it's really refreshing to work with mental health professionals as a professional myself, because then it's like, both of us are like, oh, you get it. You know, it's like, it's the marriage of the physical health and the mental, emotional health. It's like, Yes, you can take segmented times of your life or a season of your life and be like, I'm going to focus mostly on this, right? Or I'm going to focus mostly on this. But like you just said, just having the acknowledgement, if nothing else, if you take nothing else from this episode, if just being like, yeah, I've got some shit. <laughs> and that can be in all of the different categories, right? And it can seem really overwhelming to be like, oh my God, they're telling me I have to like fix, you know, quote unquote, which we're not. I have to address or look deeper into my physical health, my mental health, my emotional health. It's like, oh my God, that's so overwhelming. It's like, yes, it is. And also you don't have to do everything at the same time, right? That's not what either of us are saying. But one of the things I want to go back to that you were saying before um, that I think is worth exploring a lot more, which we could probably do like 
an entire podcast on this, not one episode, but like a whole podcast is when, whether or not you are a perfectionist or recovering perfectionist, when we're working with this middle of the Venn diagram, when you have a lot of different things going on an all or nothing protocol cannot be the answer because there's no all or nothing protocol that's going to address all of that. And let me clarify in this combining a protocol from all of those different circles does not make one perfect protocol for you because what you're going to be left with is a list of four foods and that's it. And I can tell you that because I have done that before and it was awful. (laughs) I used to eat like two vegetables, a fruit, and then I forget what kind of bread, non-gluten or gluten-free bread that I ate, but it was just a miserable existence. Like you don't enjoy holidays. You don't want to go out. And I'm very much an extrovert. And it's, it's, yeah. And the sad thing is you can easily end up in that position. It's so Mm -hmm. easy with what's out there right now. So yeah, I Mm -hmm. appreciate you saying that. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's, it's way more common than people think they're like, there's no one that only eats five foods. Uh, I beg to differ because I've worked with many of them. And this doesn't even include a conversation on ARFID, um, avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. That's like a whole nother conversation, right? Like this is not even including that, right? This is people who are trying to figure out their stuff and they're like, oh, well, you know, this protocol says I can't eat this and this says I can't eat this and this says blah, 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 blah. And it's, it's just, you're getting caught in this nutrition jungle or like a thunderstorm of information. You're like, what the heck am I supposed to do now? But so what I want to go back to what you were saying is like, you can look at your history of doing all of these kinds of protocols and all this research and all these different self-help books and therapy books and all these different things. You don't have to implement every single thing that you've ever done at the same time, because that would be completely unrealistic and overwhelming. But what you can do is be like, whoa, you know, I used to follow the principles of Ayurvedic medicine and I found out that X was great for me. I found out I really liked X vegetable, fruit, whatever it was, combining these foods, you don't have to be doing an Ayurvedic protocol in order to incorporate that into your life. Because ultimately the best thing that you can do as a human in terms of this realm of aspect of our life is figure out what's going to work best for you. And for 99% of people, that means you're not following a protocol that somebody else gave you. It means you're going through a journey of discovery throughout your life and picking and choosing all these different things that you enjoy, and then figuring out how does this work together in this season of my life? Because it's always going to continue to evolve and change. And that's a really hard thing to do for a recovering perfectionist and people pleasers, right? Cause it's like, well, so if I just find my golden formula, I can follow this forever. Well, unfortunately, no, <laughs> you can't. Right. But what you can do is look at all these things that you've done. Look at all the experience of your life, right? Trying to pick and choose those different knowledge points of like, you know, let's say you did intermittent fasting. Wow. That one didn't work for me. Now you know why you don't have to beat yourself up about it, but let's say you tried an autoimmune protocol and you realized that goji berries make your skin break out. Okay. Well, you don't have to do the autoimmune protocol fully just because you found one food doesn't work for you. You can start to figure out like, okay, well, you know, these foods make my digestion feel well. Like they help me sleep. They help me, you know, fill in the blank, all these different markers of of health that go way beyond and don't include for the most part, weight, your body size, anything like that, but may include resolution of symptoms or working on your chronic illness or anything like that. I just really like that you mentioned it doesn't have to be a take it or leave it kind of mentality. It's trying to work with what are the pieces that I can take that can be helpful and how can we do that without feeling like, well, I, I, you know, I'm not eating grains. So does that mean we're doing paleo? I mean, I guess we might as well just do the whole thing again, you know? 
Yeah. And I, I think even going past the diet space, um, an area that was pretty revelatory for me to apply that don't have to take, you can take a slice of the pie without taking the whole pie is in the self-help space. So I read, um, I say self-help, self-improvement, you know, kind of a catch-all for that space. Oh my gosh. That um, wild space. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's, it's expansive now. Uh, I feel like it used to be this little subsection of Barnes and Noble and now it's, everywhere. and now it's like <laughs> Every, everything. Yeah. I'm like, can I find a biography in here? I don't know where it is. So I believe, for example, books that have really, I thought have been very motivating, but I am not just putting all of my energy into this one specific way of thinking, um, or this one proposed solution, quote unquote, uh, the 5am club, mm. really motivating book. I can tell you without even a moment of hesitation, I am never going to get up at 5am every morning. It's just straight <laughs> yeah. up not going to happen. And I'm a morning person too. And I'm not getting up at 5am. It's just mm -hmm. not, it's not going to fly. That book, kind of left me thinking if I don't get up at 5 a.m. I'm never going to be a billionaire. I'm never going to conquer the world, blah, blah, blah. That said, there were some really awesome nuggets from it. It talked about this like first hour of your day. You have, I forget the order, but like 20 minutes of movement, like exercise just to get, you know, a lot of that anxious energy out that a lot of us wake up with. Um, 20 minutes of creating. Um, and I think, uh, it was 20 minutes of learning. I could be misquoting it, but there were little nuggets that I clearly don't apply every day, but that I was like, that's actually a really fascinating way to start your day. And I think routines mm -hmm. are awesome. You don't have to be perfect at routines. Let me be clear. <laughs> but I think having a general morning routine is awesome. So I took stuff out of that book that I still use and appreciate, but I'm not neurotic about it. That's the, the thing. So don't think because you don't apply something from start to finish that you haven't gotten anything from it. So having that open mind when you're exploring the self-help space, I think is really critical because it's so easy to find the first book that resonates or the first method that resonates and just make it your mission to do it perfectly. And that's not going to help you in the long term. Life is going to throw curveballs. Um, I mean, I've had it happen to me so many times where I'm I'm full court press. I'm all in on this thing. And then something happens where it's like, whoop, can't do that anymore. Now I feel like a failure. So having that ability to take little pieces in and incorporate little things without feeling like you have to be perfect at it. You have to be the best at it because insert some random influencer mm -hmm. said that that's the way to go. And so I would say like one of, um, on that note of influencers, one of my biggest motivations for just sharing uh, more in a more straightforward forthcoming manner, I was really struggling for a while to find people out there sharing their health story and their issues who I could relate to. So like I said, there were people that were very sick and my heart goes out to them. And I'm, I'm very active in autoimmune advocacy and research and fundraising to help those people, especially. There's also the people that are like doing a beautiful yoga pose in Malibu. And I'm like, dude, I can't relate. Can't relate. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I don't hate them. I don't wish them harm. Like, good for you. You have a really badass life according to everything I'm seeing, but I can't relate to you. And I struggle to hear your day-to-day -day routine with you're like, I wake up at this time and I make my green juice and I do this and I do this. And I'm like, really? Cause I, that's not how my life is. So I was feeling like when I was younger, that was kind of an envious kind of a, not coming from a great place. And now it's like, good for you. That's awesome. That's not my life. And that's fine. Um, and I want there to be a resource out there, someone that people can relate to that. They're like, I have a job. I worked really hard. I have some chronic illness issues. I struggle with my relationship with food. I mean, what female doesn't struggle with their relationship with food? I get blown away when I see people that really give me that energy that they are that body positive. And I'm like, oh, I just want you to like by osmosis, give me this, this yeah. feeling. <laughs> and give it to everybody. Um, yeah. And I'm light years ahead of where I was years ago, obviously, but it's still, it's still a struggle. And so I just want to be honest and like share 
those little nuggets of truth and things that I've, I've, um, I've learned the hard way uh, for anyone who might be falling into that early wellness trap and that pipeline that you and I both did, or someone who's finally gotten a diagnosis for these chronic issues that they keep getting told might be in their head, quote unquote, or their support system is like, are you sure you're not just like depressed or anxious? And you could be depressed and anxious as well as have a serious medical issue. So I just want to share these out. I want to share this. And I'm so glad you're sharing all of your knowledge and experiences too, because I think there's too little out there that doesn't put someone in a position of, I need to immediately start, you know, doing X, Y, Z, that's going to be really overwhelming, or there's no one out there that I can relate to, or, um, yeah, I feel like those two are enough, but (laughs) there's another one I'm trying to think of. Um, but I just want them to feel like they're not alone. And this, these frustrations are very valid and there are things you can do. And one one thing I would say um, really, really helped me with the mental and emotional relationship uh, with my physical ailments. Um, I had, speaking of taking one thing away, um, there was a physician who I ended up not seeing just because they were pushing a couple diagnoses on me. This happens. Uh, that I did not feel were accurate. And there was a lot of testing involved that was going to cost me an exponential amount of money. And then I was told the treatment options and the advice would not be any different (laughs) than what they were going to tell me before that testing. Um, That's happened to me and multiple people. (laughs) So it's kind of wanting to have that, like, your issue is X versus this might be contributing. But if you continue this type of lifestyle or this medication, it'll be the same result. Um, I I could do a whole podcast on the pushing of testing and, and different treatments, but there was a physician who I ended up not working with uh, for a variety of reasons. Don't wish them any harm again. Um, but a nugget I took away from that is they had me kind of break up. I'm now in my late thirties, so it took a while, but they had me break up my life into these five-year increments and just write at a super, super high level, what was going on with you at that time. And then what your physical issues were. And it was very glaringly obvious when I was only about halfway done that it's like, oh, when I hit puberty, I started having a lot of these health issues. Oh, when I left home uh, for college and was kind of thrown into this whole new world, health issues. When I was going through a divorce, health issues. When I was you know, losing a job in the 08 crisis and going through all that. So it it was this moment of just total clarity for me to really see what was really stressing me out and what was really going on in my world there mentally directly impacted my health. Now, it wasn't the the total cause by any means, um, but that was something that I've shared with several friends and they were like, whoa, I never really made any of those links in the past. So that was one takeaway that I've always wanted to share. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's that's something that is a very important part of the intake process. Like when you and I work with people, I mean, ever since doing the health coaching program, it's like, they're like, do the health history intake, get people to share their major life events or things that they, you know, major life things that may have contributed to some kind of major stress or major change, even if you didn't interpret that as a major stress at the time. Because I think one of the issues also is people always see stress as a negative thing. Like it has to be something bad in order for it to be a stress. No, a stress is any kind of imposition on the body. Doing a workout is a stress, you know, traveling is a stress. Even if you're traveling to go on the best vacation of your life, like getting to that place, doing all the air travel and all that stuff, that is a stress. Right. And so thinking about all these things and how the accumulation of all of those, again, going back to the nervous system can chronically activate your nervous system and then contribute to the development of something like 
disordered eating, autoimmune disease, hormone issues, gut issues, like mental health issues, like all of these different things. It's all connected, just like you were saying. I hope people had some really good uh, like mic drop light bulb moments during this yeah. episode because- I hope there's still a positive takeaway because I, oh. I feel like I've just been lighting up the industry. Um, <laughs> but it's it's just lessons learned that took me a lot yeah. of years and a lot of pain to learn. And so right. I'd rather just put it out there. Well, I think it's also- very relatable. You know, it's not even like there are necessarily any uh, to do's from this episode. It's just like, yeah, we've been there too. And this is really hard and it really sucks sometimes. And like, if, if nothing else, what we're trying to do with this podcast and what you're trying to do with your podcast and then your book and, you know, like everything that's coming out is really just be like, I see you. I have also been there and this is hard. And we can kind of form a community of people being like, yeah, this is hard, but we can all support each other and like try and figure out, you know, what's, what's the best, best way to move forward without being perfectionistic or people pleasing or like, you know, you know, doing all these things about it. So before I let you go, thank you for coming. Of course. Thank you for having <laughs> Always, me. You're welcome to come back anytime. I feel like we can, you know, talk about this stuff for hours. Cause we literally do. Yeah. Um, but tell everybody where they can find you, you know, all the places, what's coming up, all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. So my podcast is called the unwellness podcast and you are one of my guests. I have lots of amazing guests that I'm so excited to have. Um, you can also find me on social media at page Lavelle official. My last name is Lavelle L A V is in Victor E L L. And then if you have any interest in working with me one-on-one, -on -one, like I said, I am a certified holistic health coach, but I do a lot more coaching of how to navigate the difficult, um, Opposing forces is the best way to put it, um, but helping people kind of project manage their own healthcare management between the their Western physicians, for example, I still see an endocrinologist and I still take medication and I do not feel bad about that. I don't feel like I'm failing as a patient. Um, and I also explore functional medicine and integrative medicine. And those two forces don't typically work in a collaborative way. Um, so really giving patients the tools um, and the ability to be their own healthcare advocate and navigate in that space. It's by no means um, health advice or anything that's outside of my field of expertise. It's just sharing my own experiences and helping them. So if you do have any interest in working one-on-one, -on -one, my website is pagelavelle.com. And I would just be honored uh, if you gave a listen to the podcast or visited. And then when's your book coming out? Oh, uh, yeah. So my <laughs> book is called Unwellness. So it's unmasking the connections between perfectionism, people pleasing, autoimmunity and disordered eating. It's scheduled to come out January of 2024. Fingers crossed it will be out at that time. Still going through some editing. Um, Ruby has just been an incredible resource and is really helpful to push me uh, to share more authentically and with more vulnerability than I naturally do as that perfectionist <laughs> person. Uh, so yeah, it should be January, 2024, but I will keep um, updates posted on my Instagram and on my website uh, to pre-order that book later this fall. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. 